It's great to be here today. If you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter number 10, Luke chapter 10 is where we are this morning, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse number 25, and the sermon title today is, Whose Neighbor Can I Be? Whose Neighbor Can I Be? And uh, so I was reading this week an old story. Uh, January the 13th, 1982, Air Florida, Flight 90 took off from National Airport in Washington, D.C. And uh, some of you remember that, remember seeing pictures of what happened that day. Uh, They began losing altitude, and the 737 plunged into the Potomac River, and uh, it was icy on that day. And some made and survived the crash, and they were rescuing them. And uh, the helicopter came and dropped lines into the water. And uh, there was one woman in particular that, that the, uh, fra- the waters of the river had so frozen her muscles she couldn't hang on uh, to the lifeline that was thrown out to her. And there were people gathering on bridges watching as this uh, scene unfolded. And there was a man standing there, and it was really that moment of decision in his life. He was watching, and in that moment of decision, it's, do I put my life on the line? Do I, what do I do? I, and, and, and with that, so many thoughts go through one's mind in that moment. Am I qualified to do this? There's others around here that can take care of this. Why me? Uh, but all of that being said, the fellow's name was Lenny Skutnik, and uh, Lenny jumped into the water and came alongside of this woman, and rescued her life. And uh, later, President Ronald Reagan had him at the State of the Union address and, and talked about him and his heroic efforts and said, this is an American hero. And I thought about that story, and I thought, you know what? Jesus Christ would say, Lenny is a good neighbor. Lenny is a good neighbor. And so the question today is, what does it take to be a good neighbor? What does it take to be a good neighbor. Uh, I also had Mr. Rogers' thoughts coming through my mind when I was reading this passage, but uh, who can, whose neighbor can I be? That's really the question that we need to ask ourselves. Whose neighbor can I be? That's how you ask uh, if you're really wanting to be a good neighbor. Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse number 25, and the Bible says this, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? So Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... And trust me, when Jesus was telling this story and he mentioned the Samaritan, everybody began to listen. Who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out 
two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said to him, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. And this morning, just talking about a very familiar story and a scene. This lawyer and Jesus Christ asked a great question. Motive of his heart might have not have been right, but he did indeed ask, ask a great question that all of us need to ask the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? When we're talking about forever and forever and forever and forever, all of us will be forever. Uh, all of us will be forever. And the question is, where will I be Forever. Where will I be forever? Because this life that we're living today is described in Scripture as just a vapor, just a mist, just a, a, a short period of time, and then we will either end up in one of two places. I mean, the Bible makes it very, very clear there is a heaven and there is a hell. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In the Bible, we can go a lot of different places uh, uh, just talking about heaven. And, uh, and so heaven is an option. The other option is hell. There's not just a cessation from living or cessation from existence. There is a hell. The Bible says in Mark chapter 9, verses number 43 and following. Mark chapter number 9, verses number 43 and following. If your hand causes you to stumble, then cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands and go into hell into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, then cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so he's just simply making the point that, listen, you need to take sin seriously. And the question must be asked, where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? Uh, it's either going to be heaven or hell. And, and, and what makes the difference is Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a time in your life personally, and you really sincerely this morning, I'm asking you if you'll just take a moment and answer the question seriously. It's not about religion. It's not about just going to church. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all blown it. We've fallen short. And I can't fix myself and you can't fix yourself. Jesus Christ, in fact, said if there's any other way, let it happen. But he went to the cross and he shed his blood because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus loves you and loves me enough to lay down his life so that we could have life everlasting in his presence in heaven. He makes all the difference. If there's another way that you're attempting, you will fail. You will fail and spend forever in eternity. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Repent and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question was asked. It was a great question. 
Jesus answered the question in this text with another question. He said, what's written in the law? What's written in the law? Well, when you're talking about the law, you gotta remember this. When you're talking about the law, Jesus Christ is just trying to get him to a point, again, of recognizing, of recognizing his need for a savior. So Jesus says, what's written in the law? And there's a reason why he goes there because the Bible says in Romans chapter eight and in verse number three, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he's just simply saying, hey, the law couldn't save anybody. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 24. So if it can't save anybody, then what good is the law? Well, Galatians 3 and verse number 24, the Bible says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. And so when you're talking about this, this encounter that Jesus Christ has with this lawyer, Jesus Christ said, well, what's written in the law? And the reason he goes there is because maybe the law can show the man his need. But he responds. In fact, it's interesting because some people look at this text of Scripture, look at these verses of Scripture as if it's presenting a conflict, uh, as, if, as if there's a contradiction on what it takes for a person to be saved. And, 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 and you know, I believe that the whole reason, the whole reason why we have a contradiction, the whole reason why we see it as a conflict is because of our own personal pride. I mean, think about the question and think about how Jesus answered. Hey, so what's written in the law? Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything you've got. As if to think that I can attain that. Love your neighbor as much as you do yourself. And we like to think that we can do that as if he's presenting a work salvation. He's not presenting a work salvation, he's presenting the law. The reason for the law is because he wants to show him as a mirror, as a man stands in front of a mirror and can see sin in his own heart that would lead to repentance, that would lead to confession. The man, rather than, rather than confessing and throwing himself at the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, he attempted to justify himself. looking for a loophole in the law. Verse 29, the Bible says this. <clears throat> but wishing to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? Well, the Bible's clear. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. The Bible says, for by grace, for by grace, for by grace. It's either grace or works. They're mutually exclusive, it's either grace or works. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. To be saved by grace simply means there has to come a point in my life where I have to lay my pride aside and recognize I am a sinner in need of a savior and call on his name, repent of my sin and call on his name. What must I do to inherit eternal life? <clears throat> well, Jesus tells a story. And as, as he tells this story, 
He's simply saying, hey, you're asking the question and you're you're trying to look for loophole. And the loophole is, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, that's not the right question. It ought to be, whose neighbor can I be? And, and, And so when we're talking about being a good neighbor, being a good neighbor, there's several possibilities when you're talking about people. When we look at people, we look at people in a lot of different ways. This isn't exhaustive, uh, but yet at the same time, there are a lot of ways that we look at people. And so he says, first of all, uh, there were some robbers, and they go unnamed, they go unnamed, but there were some robbers, and they beat the stew out of a fellow, robbed him, left him for half dead on the side of the road, busted him up, didn't give a rip. And so these robbers would be people that we would say, hey, they're just looking at people, and the way they look at people, our people are just simply uh, possibilities to be exploited. That's what a people is to them. They're just simply a possibility to be exploited. And this morning, we can look and say, well, well, that would include all kinds of different people. I mean, robbers, uh, rapists, uh, murderers, uh, these are people exploiting other people. And, and, and so we can see that. But, but at the same time this morning, what I would say is, listen, I don't think, I really don't. I, I, I mean, I know most of the people in here, some of you are new. I'm, I'm excited to have you here, some don't know you really well. But I don't think anybody in here lately has beat the fire out of somebody, left them for dead on the side of the road. I don't think we've done that. But do we look at people as simply possibilities to to be exploited for our own purposes? And that's the extent of the good they bring to me. I don't have to beat somebody and leave them for dead to exploit them, to use them for my good. And when they cease to meet that, you're worthless to me. The robbers. We've got to learn to appreciate people, not use people to the extent that my needs are met. It happens in a lot of different relationships. When you look around, it happens. It happens during teenage years, boyfriends and girlfriends. I mean, I'll date this person as long as they meet my needs. And they're just there to exploit somebody. I mean, it happens. It happens on Sunday afternoons. It happens when we leave church and we go to restaurants and we're met with a waiter and a waitress. I see your value as long as you meet my needs. I just, that's, that's about the extent of your goodness to me. We might not say that with our words, but oftentimes that's the attitudes and actions that we take. And I just want to encourage you this morning. I don't know why I'm going to stop here for just a second. And the only reason is because, man, praise God. You know, last Sunday, last Sunday, last weekend, we had two different people get saved. And you know who they were? There was a a, a man and a woman, both of them restaurant workers that were met and engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ, gave their life to Jesus last Sunday morning. (laughs) Waiters and waitresses, employers and employees, I mean, employers sometimes will look at an employee. You're, you're, as long as you're producing, you bring value to me. Only to that extent. Or an employee to an employer. As long as you're giving me a paycheck. That's how good you are to me. Exploiting people. God help me. Sometimes it even happens in our families. You know, I heard it said that 
Our children go through four stages. All of us go through four stages in life. They are born, they idolize their mother and father, and they, everything they do is just right. They hung the moon and the stars, and then they demonize their parents. They look at them and say, man, all my problems are because of you. And then all of a sudden, they utilize their parents. You're good for taking, give me a car, <laughs> feeding me my meals. And at the end of the day, hopefully... We come around to treating them like human beings, <laughs> my parents. But sometimes in relationships, you know, we can be very much like the robbers who just exploited somebody. I'm going to take the value that you bring to me, and I'll just leave you. God, help us recognize that. Help us not practice that along the way. <clears throat> then all of a sudden, we have these other guys that come along. The Bible says that there were... Uh, verse number 20, 30, 31, by chance a priest was going down on the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side coming from, he just come from church, man. He just came out of the church house. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place where he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so we have these religious leaders in verse number 31, 32, and, and, and they looked at people and they just said, oh, you know what people really are to me? People are just simply problems. They're just simply problems along the way. I'd just rather me mind my own business and just let you mind your own business, and I'll just go and take care of me, myself, and I. And the problem is a lot of times, in fact, if we're going to contemporarize, is that a word? You know, bring it up to speed. If we're going to talk in our day, uh, we would say, you know, this, this, this would be like the preacher from the church. It's like the deacons in the church. It's like the Sunday school. It's like the people that just came to church. And they love to go worship. And they love to go and be a part of the church. They love to go and worship in the church, but they don't want to be the church. People are just problems along the way. And the reason for that is because Caring is costly. And sometimes we just don't want to pay the price. Caring's costly. It costs me my time to come alongside of somebody. Sometimes it costs me my money to come alongside of somebody. But can I tell you something? You and I are stewards in the hands of God Almighty. We have the privilege and the opportunity in life to be His hands, to be His feet, to be His provision for people in need. God help me to live my life with open hands, recognizing I'm simply a steward of everything I've got and not look at people and say, well, they're just problems. Well, they got a reason for why they're struggling with what they're struggling with. Well, the fact of the matter is maybe they're just there in the ditch, man. God help us not look at people as simply problems along the way. Proverbs 21, verse number 13. The Bible says this in Proverbs 21 and verse number 13. It says, he who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. You know, I think about where we are so many times as a church. Again, it, it's costly to come alongside of people. We want to we preach on all these different subjects and preach on all these different topics, but if all we do is preach and all we do is listen to lessons and we're not living those lessons out, then we're just a sorry bunch of people. I want you to preach on evangelism, but don't ask me to share. Preach on prayer, but, but don't ask me to pray. 
Man, I want to reach. It's always exciting, man. It's always exciting to see new faces. It's always exciting to reach people, man. It's exciting to be a part of a growing church. I've never, sincerely, I've never met many people uh, that don't want to be a part of a church that's growing. And it's exciting, but as, as the church grows, it has needs, a lot of times, man, I, it's, it's so encouraging. How many times have I heard people say, man, I love to see the young people. I love to see all the children. I love to see the nursery. I love to see those baby dedications. And, and, and yet the attitude is, well, I did my time in the nursery. Don't ask me to serve. Well, God, help us not see people as just simply problems to be avoided. And that's exactly what was happening. James, the Bible says over in, the gospel, in, in James chapter number four and in verse number 17, James chapter four, verse number 17, listen to this one and take it to heart. Therefore, to one who knows, the one who knows the right thing to do and he does not do it, to him it is sin. God help me to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to see what you see, and to be obedient to you. I can't think, in fact, it, it, it concerns my own heart personally to think of the opportunities that I have walked away from possibilities because I was just flat too busy and this was just simply a problem that I didn't want to engage in. God help us. Then we have this Samaritan, verse number 33. But a Samaritan. So in this, in this, it's interesting, again, how he's writing this because he's talking to someone who is very much scripted in the law. But I'll tell you what's interesting about this story. The priest and the Levite didn't stop because it's written in the law but the Samaritan stopped because he had love in his heart. So it begs the question, do I love people? Do I love people? And that was the point of the story. Jesus was trying to help him understand, oh, you talk love, you talk scripture, you talk Bible, but you lack love. You lack love. Samaritan saw people, said this is an opportunity to be used. The Bible says, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came to him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And compassion is one of those words that we all understand it. We look at it, and compassion basically is love and action. You're not going to have compassion if you don't have love. Sometimes we just simply have pity and walk away. But he had compassion. And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds and pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. On the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. He was willing to love People are a potential for ministry. He was willing to love. Why was he willing to love? Because he saw value in people. He didn't see, he didn't see another race. I mean, you fill in the blank. I mean, in this story, he's talking Samaritan and Jew. You fill in the blank. What's your struggle this morning? 
Sometimes we struggle with what we see on the outside. We don't have that love because they're black. We don't have that love because they're white. We don't have that love because they're an Asian. We don't have that love because they're just different than me on the outside. And maybe it's not a nationality thing. Maybe we look at people and say, well, man, they're not like me. They have hair. <laughs> they're not like me. Their hair doesn't look like mine. It's the wrong color. They're wrong because of the color of their hair. They're wrong because of all the holes they have on their body. They're wrong because they don't dress right. And a lot of times, that's what we see. The appearance is all we see. Rather than seeing people with needs. God, help me. Give me your eyes, that I might see people like you see people. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus Christ didn't look at you as somebody that is not worth, not worth paying the price for? And he paid the ultimate price. And he's saying, hey, my people who have tasted that, go do likewise. Be a good neighbor. Be a good neighbor. Be a hero in the eyes of Jesus Christ. God help us along the way. Willing to die himself. When you look at the story, we don't have all the details of the story, but I could imagine there was that moment of decision. He's walking down the road and he sees a man that's been beaten and he knows that, man, this is, a, this is a, the bloody highway. In fact, that's how it was referred to because so many muggings happened out there. I mean, think about it. How many times have you seen somebody and said, man, I can't stop, put myself in danger? <laughs> have you, seriously. I can't be a good neighbor. Man, I can't go over there. They got COVID. <laughs> God help us. I mean, I mean sincerely, I, I wasn't even gonna go there this morning, but I mean, this COVID thing's got people where, man, I, I got to be distanced. Show me in Scripture where I can distance myself and still be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Last I saw, last I read, he was hugging up on lepers. Y'all all right? You know, my teen, I don't know, sometimes I have these quirky things, and that's one of them, and now, now, I'm, now I'm so conscientious because I was with the teenagers this weekend, and they were all mocking me. So y'all, <laughs> hey, you all right? So now I got this thing going on. Question. The question ought never be, who's my neighbor? But the question ought always to be, whose neighbor can I be? We have opportunities. That we got a group of kids. They're going to be leaving in a little while. And uh, they're in New Orleans. They're in New Orleans because we got neighbors there. We got neighbors all around us. Whose neighbor can I be? Who in my life can I be a neighbor to along the way? I don't have to go to New Orleans to be a good neighbor. I can be a good neighbor here. I can be a good neighbor on any continent around the world. I can be a good neighbor no matter where I go. God help me to be a good neighbor. It's interesting, this story. 
And you got to be careful in Scripture when you, when you treat something like an allegory and you look at this and you say, well, man, this makes application for this and for that. Be careful because if it's not there for that purpose, then be careful. But it is interesting. This story is very interesting because what a beautiful picture it shows of people, of, of really the story of life, the story of life. When you're talking about this man that's been beaten and left for dead, the reason for that is because of sin. I mean, we recognize that. I, I, I was that robber, the man that was robbed. I've been that dude. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what sin does to us. Because of sin, because of sin, people will spend an eternity in hell. Hey, and the priest and the Levite, they represent religion, and religion doesn't save anybody. There's no religious activity that saves anybody. We're saved because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion can't fix me. But the Samaritan, the Jew named Jesus Christ, he can save me and he can save you. And you know what he did for me and for you? And this is where it gets funky in the story and where you got to be careful. When he died on the cross... He paid the price completely. He's not coming back to pay another price. It's been paid in full already. And I've got to recognize I can't, I can't love God with everything completely because I struggle with my nature. I can't love another person like I love me. I need a new heart. I need to be saved. If there ever been a time in your life you never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm inviting you today to call on his name this morning. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in church. God help us to be good neighbors. Would you do me a favor this morning and join me for a time of prayer? This morning we're going to pray and after we pray today, we'll sing a song in closing. And after that song is sung, I'll be down front. We'll have others down front today. Maybe you hear this morning say, man, I've never been saved to be born again. And I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Come today. Come today. Maybe this morning you just hear and just say, man, I just need to pray. This is your time. You respond as God lays on your heart today. You come. Father, thank you for loving us. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your tender mercies. Lord Jesus, you have been so, so good. God, help me to recognize that I'm a steward. That I really don't own anything. But you own everything. And you've entrusted me with a lot. So God, help me use your resources to bring glory to you today. Help me. Help us. Give us eyes like you have. God, that we wouldn't look on the outward appearance and see people that are different. God, build invisible walls for whatever the reason, 
But Lord Jesus, help us just to see what you see. Lord, I pray that we be filled with compassion. We be faithful to you as you have been to us. And Lord, this morning, I just want to continue to pray for our team. God, as they're there worshiping even now, oh God, that your Holy Spirit would speak into their lives. And Father, they're engaging people that we had the privilege and opportunity to be your hands and feet the last two days. God, I pray. God, let us see a harvest. God, ignite a fire in their hearts. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.